again, Bat fans. Welcome to episode 32 of I Am The Night, where we are looking at episode 36 of Batman the Animated Series, Cat Scratch Fever. With me, as always, is Adam Ray, my very own sidekick, but every now and then he's actually the senior partner, I have to be honest. Um, How are you? Very well indeed, very well. It's good to be recognised as sometimes I'm Robin, sometimes I'm Nightwing. I'd like to try to be heroic, but... I'm here and I'm always happy to talk about a great, great episode of Batman the Animated Series. And this one was, this one was a lot of fun. It was a great show of the Bat-Cat dynamic, as I would say. And as you beautifully put when the uh, title card came up and we saw the title was Cat Scratch Fever, you said... Oh, who's in this one? (laughs) I wonder who it could possibly be. See, now you joked about Ace the Bat-Hound, but I could very easily see Batman adopting that dog that, like, from right at the end... Well, you never know. Maybe maybe he does. Maybe he does. Maybe well, he does. I think that's a nice idea. But in any case, we got a really simple, homespun, like character-driven, emotional, thoughtful episode, I would say, is this one. Emotional and thoughtful is right, because I don't think we've ever seen Batman, and not Bruce Wayne, actually both, actually, this emotional or this thoughtful. It's true. It's true. And it's very low stakes, but high emotion. There's... The grandiose sort of villain trying to commit some deadly heist or grand revenge is sort of put to the wayside as we see Catwoman very vulnerable and very alone. And we see how Batman does his best to help her because he's not just a punisher of the and an avenger. He's a protector and someone who helps those who are in need. And she was in need in this episode. Yeah, I mean, right from the start, vulnerable and alone. Well put because... It's fascinating because I, I didn't remember that this early on, because this is only, what, her second appearance? I think so, yes. Right from this early on, they're trying to rehabilitate her in the eyes of, of the viewers. She's on trial, found guilty, but because she helped save Gotham City, um, her her sentence is commuted. And, and right from then, Batman watches over, and it's it's so interesting. That dynamic has always been really important from the beginning. Just the very grey, very uncertain morality of Catwoman. And being able to show that she was villainous and um, committing heists for whatever reasons is essential. But being a, giving her this motivation of being sort of an environmentalist or a naturalist to try and defend wildlife, especially in and around a city as densely populated as Gotham, yeah. we see uh, room for her to be more than just the greatest thief of DC Comics, and we really get to see her as more anti-heroic from the very offset, which is a very nice way to sort of portray this character. Much more sympathetic, absolutely. The way she's written by Sean Catherine Derrick and Buzz Dixon in this episode, they achieved, like I said, in their second appearance, what took decades in the comic, because she was quite clearly a villain and a thief. Yeah. for many, many, many years in the comics before they decided to try and uh, put her on the straight and narrow. Yeah, they made an effort to humanise her from the beginning with the sort of mistrust that is very implied and sort of, I think, integral to the character of Catwoman just there from the beginning. But we get the chance to sort of see her as more than just the greatest thief in DC Comics. We get to see her as... Um, a more layered character, one that we can feel for. We really feel for it. I feel like there's much more Catwoman screen time in this episode than Batman, and we feel 
her changes in emotion of her being through the ringer and the court and looking for her cat and the resurgence of a antagonist from her own past we they've been able to make this a real character driven thought piece for Catwoman and making her sympathetic from the beginning is a great way to really empathise with her yeah well put very well put director Boyd Kirkland looking back at the work he's done so far that we've seen on this series is very much one of those character driven episodes people and like you said this episode is almost more Selena Mm. than it is Bruce and it's brilliantly done because even though he is more or less in the shadows unless it's helping her he still gets a brilliant action scene and he's still this presence this this guiding force in the whole show because you can feel that while she is a, a brilliant pet owner a great friend to maven who her assistant is is a friend to her you can you can feel that she's also someone who's still trying to seek Batman's approval and I want to talk to you about that relationship and how funny it is when compared to her relationship with Bruce yeah I think that's something they do deliberately ironically Um, because there's that sort of unintentional double standard of him knowing that she's who she is in and out of the mask whereas to her she has no idea who he is out of the mask Mm -hmm. so it's very easy for someone like her to see Bruce Wayne, eccentric billionaire, the society hag with all the money in the trust fund and the uh, uh, Fortune 500 company, someone that she would go about with on the town like she did when she first appeared, but not someone she could ever really take seriously. But then you get Batman, this figure of the night, this defender of the weak, this arbiter of peace and Mm. justice. That's ultimately very seductive and very intriguing so how could you not be a little bit in love with that and because they are so different she does feel one way about one person and one way about the other even though she has no way of realizing that they are the same person but that's also a real good credit to bruce Mm -hmm. who's been able to make the disguise of bruce wayne and the aura of fear around batman so distinct that it would be almost unthinkable for the two of them to be the same person, especially in the eyes of someone who works a similar way that he does, like Catwoman, because she maintains a very different, or at least she did maintain a very different persona in and out of the mask so that people can't really put the two together. just shows the strength of that disguise so that she can't put those two characters together either. Absolutely. And it's it's great for a viewer Hmm. because obviously we know that Bruce and Batman are one and the same. And you can't help but feel for Bruce when he's in the car with her and he's clearly, clearly able to show his feelings towards her as Bruce. But you feel like he's holding those same feelings back when he's Batman. But as he puts it to Alfred, who retorts fantastically, um, after a court scene, and Alfred says, are you going to be uh, pursuing... Miss Selina, now she's free to prowl the gate. And he says, uh, yeah, but she's actually in love with Batman. And, and, and Alfred's classic line, oh, I don't understand these modern relationships. <laughs> and it's the most modern relationship ever, isn't it? it that dynamic. Is. That dynamic, because there's uh, that whole idea, especially today. Yeah. Today right now. So, like, <clears throat> well over 25 years after this episode first broadcast there's that modern relationship 
thing where a lot of people meet online and you can't be certain whether or not someone else is Absolutely. real online whether or not you met them in person despite being younger than the of the two of us i've never done the whole online thing so that sincerity was never a thing for me i don't understand it i honestly don't understand it either maybe that makes me old-fashioned but that uncertainty that you get when you meet someone new but there's still sort of that uncertainty around whether they're being sincere or upfront or hiding anything or keeping any secrets that's just the dynamic that they have to live by. Yeah. Or at least Batman has to live by with just about everyone. So he's used to it, but it still bothers him. And that's normal. And probably means that that's probably good because that means how much she means to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because he, he, he could put his entire secret on the line. But what I have to really point out is that in her, her initial meeting, there was definitely a physical attraction there between the two of them. But in this episode, I honestly feel like Selena more than is more than just attracted to Batman. She's actually falling for him. Her reactions when she sees him being chased by that bloodthirsty hound on the ice, and her fear when it pins him down and then he's dragged under the ice and whatever else. I honestly sense despair and real caring for Batman in it. And then there's that almost cold line to Bruce in Bruce's car when he, he faces her in his civilian altar where you go, I really like you, Bruce, as a friend. Like, yeah, instantly distancing. Instantly it's does. fascinating. Moreover, um, she's had all of those loud reactions watching Batman taking on that rabid dog or whatever mm-hmm. while she was under the effects of that toxin. So all of her emotions were right at the surface. Yes. So the reactions she were giving was the most sincere oh, yeah. and the most primal and most visceral. So if you're getting those sorts of readings, then yeah, it's almost un- almost undeniable, which is why it's quite so interesting. Yeah, very interesting. But again, she is vintage Selena, vintage Catwoman in this episode because more or less the basic plot of it is she's been released. She goes home, her cat's missing. She goes to find Isis. And discovers that the nefarious Roland Daggett is dragging up strays all over the city. And Professor Milo, a classic Batman villain dating back to the 50s, one of Batman's most persistent evil scientist type villains, is experimenting on these animals for very horrible reasons. Very horrible indeed. So much so that when Selina gets back into her own costume, she's doing this as someone who's trying to preserve wildlife like she was back when we first saw her. And we get that real sense of her being that anti-heroic, doing the right thing, but the wrong way. But not too dissimilar from Batman, which is why I think that excellent tension between the two characters is always going to be there. But we also see just the real... Uh, like my notes, I wrote my notes in t- eternally dodgy Ron Dagger. The I like that completely untrustworthy nature of that smarmy businessman who, in all honesty, I think could you could make the argument that like there's the perception that a lot of the business types in like DC villainy are of that sort of ilk. Him, Lex Luthor. There's that sense of mistrust around like the corporate figure. So maybe that also contributes to why she doesn't feel quite so strongly about Bruce Wayne, or that's just 
me just reading a little bit further into no, what, I she agree can, with you. what she can see. But yeah, um, again, the eternally dodgy Ronaldagus they're at his worst, and we see that there's a nice bit of consistency that he's the antagonist here again. The thing is, you're quite right. DC does do that type of villain a lot and do it well, but I think the reason for that is is because it's a very real evil, hmm. and it's the kind of antagonist that any viewer can understand and appreciate because, well, um, not mentioning any bright orange American presidents, um, <laughs> it's, a, like I say, it's a very real thing. And Daggett here, though, is literally just the mastermind. And he's a very clever man. Manufacture a plague knowing that you're the only one with a cure. I mean, it's something that conspiracy theorists thinks happening, think is happening right now in the world. Every day you're going to read of a story where, well, a lot of people think the whole coronavirus thing's uh, manufactured to sell drugs or to have the government step down on the people and force us to bow down to their will and wear masks when we're not supposed to. And obviously it's complete nonsense. I mean, that must have been said by some very clever people with some very well-fitted tinfoil. (laughs) But I believe if there was... Well, this is just a, a great way to dispel any conspiracy theory. If any conspiracy theory that impe- that spells out doom, does it affect rich people? Because if it affected rich people, then there is no conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Because uh, every strata of society has been affected by the Backstreet Boys. Yes. So we can say that if it was an engineered virus, then there would be a certain number of people that would have gone to their bunkers way in advance and would have been fine. So, unfortunately, yes, the Backstreet Boys are here to stay. The sooner those absolute genius boffins in the lab coats can whip up a vaccine so that we can all get back to normal, that'd be great. But back to this virus, which has been (laughs) much more easily contained, but still something that we can recognise as a real threat and is something that requires heroics just above uh, Batman's to be able to find, because until... Selena's intervention it doesn't look like Batman was on this case at all absolutely I mean he got involved he discovered the plot because she did yeah exactly and it's a lovely thing to see that she can just by being herself following her instincts and protecting some defenseless animals which is one aspect of the character that I've always adored even though it's a a fairly modern take as I said for decades she was nothing more than a thief after the prettiest jewels and performing cat-related crimes. But in the years where she's become, as has Poison Ivy, someone fighting for the good of the world, for those not people, one fighting for plant life and the grain forests, and one fighting for, for animals in danger, that, that handed a whole new dynamic to her character and made her so much more interesting and and fun to read about it's given her a level of realism and something that we can graft onto and respect other than just the the dulcet but very squeaky tones of Eartha Kit in the back of your head <laughs> but still that's something that uh, this show has done particularly well above all others and it's definitely the best version of an on-screen sympathetic animal loving catwoman we've seen oh yeah so yeah I think it's a very admirable quality that the character has and I think it's something we should all try to see more well said yeah. very well said now I want to touch on something you just mentioned that'll be good 
the famous and squeaky tones. Again, we have to talk about the casting because I do believe that Adrienne Barbeau is one of those voices that it's perfect for Selena. She's mm. just bordering on the purry, growly, mm. really alluring feminine voice and, and she's wonderful casting. But Professor Milo is voiced by another actor from everywhere the archives i mean this guy he's played by treat williams who um in nerd and comic book circles might not be that well known but he's been in really really well loved and critically acclaimed films like once upon a time in america hair and things to do in denver when you're dead which are all like cult classics really powerful powerful films but he does have some nerd cred He's not just Professor Milo against Batman. He was also the evil villain Xander Dax in Billy Zane's Phantom movie. So the ghost <laughs> who walks, the one of the first costumed vigilantes, um, his villain was was the guy who played Professor Milo. Professor Milo's been the thorn in Batman's side, even though he's possibly second or maybe even third tier since 1957 and his first appearance in Detective Comics 247. But... He's appeared as recently as the the epic saga of 52 and responsible for a lot of Dr. Hurt's uh, pain against Batman in Batman Rest in Peace and and the Black Case books. So he's quite an important character because he's always the kind of person like Professor Hugo Strange, who doesn't just come at Batman fists and punches. It's using, yeah, other means. I feel that that's... Usually, the kind of enemy that puts Batman at the most odds, mm. not the deliberately overly violent, overly destructive ones, the ones that can target and attack in a very specific, more dangerous and harder to fight way. Yeah. Which is why I think the Joker, to hate to go back to uh, no, the Joker. No, have to. Hate to go back to the Joker. The Joker is such a formidable villain because he can do both. Yes. He's very destructive, but surgically so. But mm. when you get. A villain who acts with scientific means on precision basis is going to cause Batman a lot more headaches because they have the means to hide. They have forward planning and they have very specific means of destruction that Batman has to undo before even thinking about trying to find them and apprehend them there. Villains like that are very interesting and I think something uh, comics needs a bit more of. We can... We can all fall in love with the grandiose costume, fighting the grandiose costume on an immense landscape. But mm. when a when a uh, hero has to think their way out of a problem, yes. it's always really satisfying. But again, Batman loans himself to that because he is the world's greatest detective. Yeah, and, and that's why he has um, more of that type of character than probably any other uh, a comic book hero. I mean, Russell Gould's a similar thing. He's every bit Batman's equal physically and mentally. Uh, the comic book version and the Christopher Nolan version of Bane. Again, he's every bit as foe for Batman's psyche. See as now, I like how you phrased that. The comic book version and the Christopher Nolan version of Bane. Is there any other version? Uh, no, that version doesn't exist. We do not acknowledge... Bomb. No, no. Bomb. Batman... No, no. This, is a, this is an opinion I stand by, and I want you to take this away with, me, with you, listeners. Bomb. Stop. <laughs> Next time... Batman and Robin is on TV. Next time you see George Clooney in the rubber suit where he can't turn his neck, I want you to do something for Nibbles. me. Nibbles! Let me speak let me my piece. This is a very valid way to watch this movie. Okay. You put it on from the beginning. You watch up until 
the awful moment where they snowboard from this crushed spaceship <laughs> down into Gotham City because they somehow survived that. As soon as it cuts away to that lab with Woodrow and Poison Ivy, boom, turn off your TV, the movie's over. Because <laughs> that okay. opening scene, that it's opening actually scene is fun. actually pretty good. Yeah. It's good fun, that. and it leaves with an open ending of, will they catch Mr. Freeze again? What's wrong with Alfred? But you don't have to care because the rest of the movie sucks balls. <laughs> yeah. Bomb. Oh. No. no. So, so when you tell me, so when you tell me the comic book Bane and the Christopher Nolan Bane, that's a very long and roundabout way of saying Bane because that Bane doesn't exist. Yes, that Bane doesn't exist. Okay, um, the real Bane. I accept. <laughs> I hate to oh. tangent like that, ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries, but I think it's important that we defend a very hard to defend movie. Yes, but we're here to talk about good Batman media. Yeah, thank you, son. That's all right. I, I appreciate that. You, you got me back on the straight and narrow. That's right. Um, okay, yes. So, yeah, Batman's got more of those foes who are... Psychological and cerebral. Yeah, and, and almost on his level, and that's what makes him amazing. But um, it's great to see both the returning Roland Daggett and the returning Catwoman... Um, the first appearance of Professor Marlowe, but it's also lovely to see old friends like Lucius Fox sharp again, yeah. and and obviously the ever-present Alfred. What do you make of the return of some of these classic supporting characters? We had a lot of good action from the side characters in this episode. Um, Alfred showing his excellent butler training with his one-handed egg crack for the protein shake. Yeah! I... Much to my mother's chagrin, I can barely crack or make eggs as it is. <laughs> so when I see someone who served at Buckingham Palace yes. without looking, crack an egg, crack a single egg with one hand mm-hmm. to put in the to put in his protein shake without any of the shell going in there, because if he did blend up an eggshell and a protein shake, you'd shred your throat. Mm-hmm. It's a very powerful thing and a great character detail that is very like easy to miss in when you watch yeah. it, but if you're analysing it, you see that this is just the skill. Of a tenured butler, and yes. something wonderful to see. Yes. Lucius Fox, honestly, a huge mainstay in the supporting cast of Batman, is there to facilitate all of the logic and the gadgetry and the front of Wayne Enterprises. And he acts here as the foreman on the uh, the corporate side of things, yes. just to be able to get the information on the inside track from what Daggett's doing, because he would know from a sort of corporate standpoint and. That's one of the ways that the characters shine, especially in this early sort of guise of him. We'll see him sort of grow into a relied and staunch ally of Batman eventually. But this is a great way to show him still being useful and relevant in the early days of the character. And you missed the fact that we saw a lovely little scene of Ms. Montoya. No, no, I was going to mention it. I'm, sure, mention I'm it. sure you were, yeah. but I'm just going to... Oh, and we love her. And we love her dearly. Do you feel the way I did that she really didn't want to arrest Selina. But uh, that could be said. I think the way that those two crooks explained the situation oh, was... Horrible buggers. Yeah, they were. But that's because they were going after cats and calling them nasty things and we're cat people. But I think there's uh, there was a real sympathy to her, but she still followed the code like a good policeman woman should. Police yep. person should. Police officer. Policeman officer. Uh... <laughs> Oh, God bless uh, Hot Fuzz. Excellent, excellent cinema. But 
it's just the well-rounded way that even though we haven't seen her in 10, 12 plus episodes mm-hmm. or something like that, we still know who she is and her character is still that well-defined that there's no question in our in our heads about how good and staunch a police officer oh, and an yeah, investigator she is. the best. Absolutely the best. But um, as you said before as well, with Lucius, he really is the one who does keep when Enterprise is running. But also that, that does lead back to Daggett because he must be a strong rival in Gotham City against Wayne Technologies, Wayne Enterprises. I would presume so. I think in terms of those grand like worldwide corporations in DC, I feel like Daggett Industries has to be up there with Wayne Tech, LexCorp, yeah. and a couple of the others that you'll probably name Cord. for me. Cord, yes. Star Labs, yes. those kind of things. Absolutely. Um, he's a horrible swine. And do you not think that the two hench people were particularly nasty in this episode? But especially the redhead with the machine gun. Yeah, because... Did not like her. No, she was particularly nasty. Just all of the like verbal abuse of just like towards her own colleagues, but as well as like the stray animals they were trying to wrangle. And like the moments when she was flanking Dagger to try and take down Batman. He Batman had one of the goons like sort of hung up. Yeah. Just to try and get information out of him. But she was firing with yeah. it. She didn't care if she hit no. him or any of the antidote or whatever. She was just going going for it. It's like very nasty. Classic classic stuff that you would want in your goons. Real Honestly, psycho. Yeah. Absolutely. Did not like her at all. But um that just goes to show the the, the power of the writing and, and creative team behind this series because they can do something like bring back a Roland Daggett and return Selena in a brilliant new light in a really sympathetic way, and yet also give us these one appearance characters that make an impact and make you feel real hatred for mm. them. It's just brilliantly done. It is really well done. We get uh, really well defined supporting characters that you only really get these one episodes. Yeah, but they're just so well handled that we get the tone of what they're trying to convey right off the bat so that we know who to root for and who to boo for as if there was any question but it's still so satisfying to see yes this is the kind of villain we know to mistrust and dislike and they handle that perfectly and of course we still get a classic Batman action moment running through the snow skidding on the ice fighting a rabid dog but then subduing him and pooching for anyone who's an animal lover... Yeah, we are. And we are. Hmm. Um, Catwoman is more of a hero than an anti-hero, and Batman just does come across in this episode as a big softie. He really is. He really can be. Towards the way the episode ended, where that loving that loving duo of Selena and Isis are reunited, even down to the little little, little cat basket, just like yep. being lowered down on the bat rope. Yep. He could have very easily just sort of like... Handed it. Handed her over, handed her over, just left her on the stoop. No, it's like the little cat's out of the basket. A very cute little image, which I think is the little bit of extra effort he wanted to put in for the sake of Selena and all they've been through for the past night or so. Totally. But did you spot Batman? One of his favourite things to do is to bug the hell out of Jim Gordon by literally vanishing mid-sentence. Hmm. But he made the effort to stick around. He was there long enough to, for Selena to see him swinging off heroically into the distance. Hmm. 
And I think that's actually an incredibly important character moment. He wanted to see the job well done. He wanted to see how happy she was that Isis came back. He wanted her to see him. He wanted to see her happy. Hmm. I think there's more to it than mm. that. But that's because I'm, a, I'm an old fusspot softy myself. But <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. There you go. Right. So we've seen Batman fight viruses, mad scientists, evil conglomerate rulers and everything in between. And honestly, we, we are seeing a Batman who deeply cares about one of his enemies. So much to take from this episode. What were your main takeaways, good, bad or ugly? For this I week? feel that the biggest takeaway, other than the beginning of this clash with the rabbit dog, I feel that we saw Batman's unappreciated matador skills using his cape <laughs> to try and subdue the dog, which I think was just a very nice, lovely moment. And only people of Spanish descent will spot that. <laughs> Ole. But in all seriousness, I think this is Batman at his truest heroism. Yes. He's just, home, just honestly trying to help someone in need by not exactly, but in a roundabout way, rescuing a cat from a tree. Exactly that. Exactly that. And that's true heroism. That's true heroism. It's really good because I had very similar takeaways this episode as well. You do see an extremely heroic Batman, but I do believe this is also where you see an extremely human mm. Batman. This is a guy who, in both his guises, cares deeply for this woman, but in the one that can show her the feeling, she's not interested. Yeah. And the one we're showing her any kind of feeling and any kind of truth and revealing a secret, we'll just land him in hot water. So it's the beginning of that whole will-they-won't-they dynamic. Can this love, which everyone's rooting for, ever work? So it's brilliantly done. Very well done indeed. We can only hope and we can only expect to see more in future episodes of Batman the Animated Series. Oh, we know for a fact she'll be back and uh, I'll be waiting anxiously. Wow. So that does it for another episode of I Am The Night. Um, Adam, why don't we tell the world where people can read your work and get in touch with you? Uh, to read my various Batman and Batman adjacent favourite things, just <laughs> simply look to my reviews on Dark Knight News and DC Comics News, where I review Catwoman very uh, on yes, the usual releases. Uh, the new writing team has done some very ambitious things and brought back some very unexpected characters from the past oh yes <laughs> but a colourful character nevertheless I'm excited to see where they go as for other writings of mine you can tune into our pride and joy fantasticuniverses.com where I talk about my one true love tabletop gaming and PC gaming follow me on twitter at isittinkerer and you can find me on youtube at no ordinary heroes and on the hostile atmosphere playing various tabletop or PC games with dearest and nearest friends alike yourself sir um, you can find me doing most of my damage across the aforementioned DC Comics News and Dark Knight News, but rather than go typing in long URLs, just go to your search engine of choice and type in the words Steve J. Ray, or, as Adam said, Fantastic Universes. As for this show, you can find it on the DC Comics News Podcast Network, along with the original DC Comics News Podcast, The Spinner Rack, and Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast, where uh, all my friends and I basically do lots of Batman and DC-related things on a weekly basis. You can catch all these shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can catch DC Comics News and Dark Knight News on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, 
YouTube and Instagram. As for me, please, 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 please keep talking to us. The most easy way to do that is by going to the Twitter and contacting at Elstevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. So, that's been the I Am The Night podcast for another week with Adam Ray. He is the night. We, together, are the night. And that's another episode of the I Am The Night podcast. But Adam, what do people need to do? Read more comics. And please watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. Bye now.